0: to the second part of our two-part episode on Javed Iqbal, Pakistan's most notorious serial killer. If you haven't yet heard our first episode, please go back and listen to that first. Also, at the end of this episode, we discuss mental health in light of Sushant Singh Rajput's suicide and how it ties back to the criminal reform system. If you're interested in listening, please hang along for a little while after this episode ends. And with that, let's get started.
1: So up until now, Ishwara, you have told us that the Pakistani media and the Pakistani police both receive a letter. A letter which is a confessional statement. This statement has been written by Javed Iqbal, a man who claims to have murdered a hundred boys. This letter leads the police and the media alike to a house. This house can best be described as a house of horrors which has vats of hydrochloric acid, 85 pairs of shoes in a sack and things that normal people cannot even imagine in their wildest dreams. We also went over Javed Iqbal's history, where he comes from, his family, his previous allegations in sexual scandals. And at the end of the previous episode, it was revealed right at the end that Javed Iqbal had decided to commit suicide. Let's find out if he did.
0: Alright, so now Javed Iqbal did try to drown himself. However, after an unsuccessful attempt at suicide, Iqbal began his run from the cops and this is when Pakistani police began their search for him. Now, I'm not entirely sure how the cops found out Iqbal wasn't dead and I couldn't find any records that spoke of this. But soon after they began their search for him, they arrested four teenage boys who they believed were Iqbal's accomplices in his heinous crimes from a three-bedroom flat in Sohawa that they shared with Iqbal. But within just a few days of their arrest, one of the four teenage boys died in police custody allegedly by jumping from a window, but a post-mortem report showed that force had been used against him. Now... I just want to point this out that the use of force in police custody isn't as uncommon in Pakistan and in India, as a matter of fact, as it is in the West. So even though force was used against him, that wasn't and still isn't uncommon, and chances are that the boy actually died after having jumped out of the window.
1: Ashwara, why do you think he would have jumped in the first place?
0: Arun, Javed Iqbal had left so much evidence for the cops, After that, Javed Iqbal's own suicide attempt was a failure, all four boys were finally caught by the cops and I'm sure at one point, one of them thought that there was no way out of it, that they were caught. So, now it's clear that Javed Iqbal had served himself on a silver platter to the cops, with labelled and protected evidence that Iqbal had left for the police, with a diary that had a detailed account of the murders listing his victims' names, ages and the dates of their deaths even.
1: Of course there was a diary. See, whenever, (laughs) I, I tell you, whenever there's a diary involved, it always gets creepy.
0: In fact, in that diary, he also recorded the exact cost of disposing of each kid. He said, and I quote, In terms of expense, including the acid, It cost me 120 rupees to erase each victim, end quote.
1: Ishwara, that is like $2 to get rid of a child. Javed Iqbal literally put a price on somebody's life and that was $2.
0: And not only did he do that, he gave all of that information up to the cops. But despite that and despite having four of his accomplices in custody, the cops couldn't catch Iqbal for almost a month. This man, having killed and confessed to killing a hundred kids, was on the road for almost 30 days.
1: So Javed Iqbal was finally caught after 30 days. Is that what you're telling me, Ashwarya?
0: Well, not really. On the 30th of December 1999, Iqbal actually turned himself in on his own, but not to the police he turned himself in at the office of the Urdu newspaper called the Daily Jung. He didn't go to the cops because he, quote, feared for his life and was concerned that the police would kill him, end quote. The cops soon arrived to arrest him and finally, after 30 long days of a cat and mouse chase, after 30 of the most excruciating and media-heavy search days on the part of Lahore police, Javed Iqbal was finally caught. The cops had him in the flesh, a 44-year-old paternal-looking man with squared specks that rested on his wrinkled face, his black hair visibly getting greyer from old age. All of this almost made him look like an old, experienced relative of yours. I was just
1: about to, say, swear It's like you were describing my cha or some of my uncle.
0: So, who the cops had in front of them wasn't the evil and cold genius they thought they'd find. They had a normal man. Someone who could be your friend, your neighbour, maybe even your professor in college. But they knew by now that Javed Iqbal wasn't any of those things. By no means was Javed Iqbal a normal man. When the cops began their questioning with him, they couldn't believe the man that sat in front of them. A man with a long and problematic history with young boys and sexual assault and sodomy, and a man who was openly confessing his crimes without an ounce of remorse in his eyes or voice. In fact, Aran, this man, after already killing a hundred kids, had the audacity to say that he could have just as easily killed 500 kids but chose to stop at a hundred because that was the pledge that he had taken. His pledge was to hear the cries of exactly 100 mothers. He said that he got young boys into his home only because he was extremely lonely and needed someone to help out with the everyday chores. But then he went ahead and spoke of how some of the boys he got home were brutal opportunists who exploited him at every turn. In fact, he would later claim in his own confession to the police that it was an attack by some of the boys he had taken into his home that triggered his bloody killing spree.
1: Is this the same attack you talked about in the last episode which landed him in a hospital?
0: Yup, this is exactly that attack. He claimed that after that attack, he lost everything he ever owned and his memory was severely affected. He told the cops that after this attack, his mother was so heartbroken at her son's condition that she passed away. Upon leaving the hospital, left with no friends, Iqbal became close to four boys. The four boys the police caught from Iqbal's apartment.
1: Ashura let me just put this question out to you and I think most of our listeners would be wondering this. Did that attack, which you described had injuries on his skull and clearly brain damage was a result of that, could that brain damage have been a factor that that bore seed to this psychopathy that brought about? Do you think that has any role to play whatsoever?
0: So Aran, that's exactly what Javed Iqbal believes. He believes that this is what triggered in him the murderer. But if you truly look at his history with young boys, with sodomy, with crime... It goes much before this incident ever took place with him, so while this was probably a trigger in his life, I don't deny that, I feel like there was something truly going wrong with Javed Iqbal much before that. So now, it was with the help of those four boys, those four boys that he befriended right out of the hospital, that he went on his rampage to kill a hundred children, to avenge the death of his mother and the betrayal and loss that he faced at the hands of those street boys, time and time again. While Iqbal was in jail, awaiting his trial, a Pakistani-Canadian psychologist named Dr Khalid Sohail travelled all the way to Pakistan to visit with Iqbal and interview him one last time. Because by now, everybody knew that Iqbal and his accomplices would get the death penalty for sure. Being a psychologist, Dr. Sohail looked forward to meeting Iqbal. And being a psychologist who had now practised in Canada, Dr. Sohail understood the role mental health played in Iqbal's psychopathy. And Aram, this is the thing about psychopathy. There weren't just a hundred victims in Iqbal's story. Iqbal was a victim too. In fact, Dr. Sohail knew that had Iqbal belonged to Canada, he would have never seen a jail cell but only a mental institution. Eventually, Dr. Sohail also wrote a book about his interactions with him. Sitting in that jail cell, Iqbal tells Dr. Sohail his childhood story. The story of a kid who was told he was different, that he was God's child and that he had a purpose on this planet.
1: Oh God, Ashwara, please tell me there is not another Babaji angle involved (laughs) in this.
0: You're clearly getting used to this now, Aryan. It was. A Baba or a self-proclaimed God person had told five-year-old Iqbal and his parents that their boy was unlike any other, that he would heal the sick and help fix the world and do many great things. The Baba even asked Iqbal's family to donate their son to God, whatever that means, but the family refused. For a long time after this incident, five-year-old Iqbal kept going into states of trance again and again. After this incident, throughout the course of his life, Javed Iqbal continued to believe that he was the chosen one and that rules didn't apply to him the way they applied to the rest of the world. Now, whether or not this belief led him down a path of murder is for you Aryan and for our listeners to judge for themselves. But it's extremely interesting to note what superstitions of this nature and to this level do to the psychology of a common, normal man. Very soon after Dr. Sohail met Iqbal, Iqbal's trial started and everything he had said previously changed. He claimed in the courts that he was innocent and that the entire affair was an elaborate plan to draw attention to the sad lives of runaway children from poor families. He insisted that the missing boys were still alive and challenged the police to find them. He claimed that some of the boys were now living with different people and were surely compulsive homosexuals, while others had returned to their original families but their parents were hiding this from the cops. He claimed that his statements to the police originally were all made under duress. However, during Iqbal's trial, more than a hundred witnesses testified against him, his paedophilic tendencies and his past record of crime. The truckloads full of evidence that was gathered from his house that was left by Iqbal did not help his case. On exactly 16th of March 2000, Iqbal and his three surviving accomplices were found guilty of the murder of 100 children. Two of his accomplices, both 17 years old, were awarded life in prison. While Iqbal and his 20-year-old accomplice to nobody's surprise, were awarded the death penalty. But it was a death penalty like Pakistan and most other countries in the world had never seen before. Aran, could you please read out a part of the verdict for us?
1: He is a Satan in the shape of a human being. In fact, he is a beast and such a cruel man that it is a disgrace to humanity to label him as human. The prosecution has fully succeeded in proving, and with the grace of God, I am fully convinced that the accused have committed katalamad, first-degree murder, of 100 children, and after cutting their dead bodies into pieces, have put the dead bodies into drums recovered from the house of Javed Iqbal, accused. He should be strangulated with an iron chain, the weapon of offence in this case, In the presence of legal heirs of the deceased and then his dead body should be cut into pieces as it has been proved that he used to cut the dead bodies of the children deceased in this case. The pieces of his dead body should be put into a drum containing the formula modus operandi used by the accused for dissolving the dead body. The sentence be executed at an open place preferably Minare, Pakistan, in the presence of the legal heirs of the deceased children, in order to make it a horrible example. Ashwara, did the judge, the head of Pakistan judiciary, actually want this? I mean, for Javed Iqbal to be cut in a public place in front of a national monument, to be butchered into pieces and then put into acid?
0: Aran, actually this verdict was not normal at all. In all of Pakistan's history, the last time there was a public execution, it was when the country was under martial law by General Zia ul Haq in the 1980s. And moreover, it's commonly accepted in the legal systems of most countries that punishments can only ever be given to people who are alive. So, asking for Iqbal's dead body to be cut up into pieces and put into acid was in many senses against the law and far, far beyond the jurisdiction of what the judge could allow. In fact, Pakistan's leading religious affairs body, the Islamic Ideology Council, declared the sentencing un-Islamic. But regardless of all of this aran, the sentencing was due to take place. Pakistan's most notorious serial killer was to be hanged publicly chopped up into pieces and put into vats of hydrochloric acid in front of the families of the victims. It was now October 8th, 2000, when the guard outside Iqbal's jail cell falls asleep. When he wakes up a few hours later, somewhere after midnight, he walks up to Iqbal's cell and finds him and his 20-year-old accomplice hanging from the iron bars of the prison cell, using their bed sheets. Now, this guard gets scared. After all, he had fallen asleep on duty and it had led to two suicides. So he opens the cell, unties the bedsheets from their necks, places the bodies neatly on the floor in an attempt to make it look like the men were asleep. After that, he leaves the prison building without informing anybody. When the head warden of the prison wakes up the next morning, he finds dead the man who would go down in Pakistani history as its worst serial killer and as a man who killed a hundred children. Everybody in the country is talking about this. Everybody is talking about how a 34-year-old handsome young actor, with his entire life ahead of himself, killed himself.
1: Ashwara, it troubled me beyond belief to just yep just see the reactions that initially came from this. For people to not understand that you know you can be healthy looking, you can be successful in your appearance financially, perhaps. That is no excuse for living a happy life, and to I don't know. It's just people's reaction initially really frustrated me that they, they they said how could how could he do that? He 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 should have been happy.
0: I think that's one of the things that we're trying to address with this podcast here is that mental health is really really important, and I think India as a country right now has leaps and bounds to go to be able to address this issue. Imagine Sushant Singh Rajput, someone. Part of Bollywood, one of the most liberal circles out there, the one place where it should be okay to seek help, where it's normal to have mental health issues and come out with them and ask for help and have people helping you with your mental health issues. Yet someone in that profession, undergoing so much pressure, felt the need to actually kill themselves. There's something really troubling going on. Either the way Bollywood is continuing to work, the way in which Bollywood functions or just in the way that we're addressing mental health or maybe both I don't know
1: but scraping aside the role Bollywood played which I'm sure is indefinite to its extent how mental health ties back to crime is certainly something both of us are intrigued by if not interested necessarily and how I mean just take the case of Iqbal in this case psychopathy psychopathy is a mental illness it can be diagnosed and in certain cases treated and you pointed out Dr. Sohail. Dr. Sohail, in his book, The Myth of the Chosen One, he said that had Iqbal been in Canada, a Canadian uh, psychopath, so to say, he wouldn't have been sent to jail because there it would have been recognized as something which is categorized as a mental illness. He would have been sent to a mental facility. But that's not how we treat mental illness in India. Let Forget treating. We don't even identify mental illness in India.
0: It's really sad that, you know, we're in Delhi and if we feel mental health isn't being addressed properly, we've lived very privileged lives. So if we feel that living these kinds of lives, imagine what people in the remote parts of India feel. I feel like people for so many years have and for so many years will continue to live lives unhappy lives unaware of what's going wrong with them i don't know it's these babas these self proclaimed god people that will be involved in this process that will make the situation worse like the burari family for example i mean i don't know what went wrong with that family but there were 11 people in need of help 11 people that needed mental assistance
1: i would just like the listeners to go away with this one thought which is this episode has to us been a tribute to Sushant Singh Rajput. I mean, I loved him. Come on, there's, there's no. If I have a man crush, it's Sushant Singh Rajput. But just if you go through a problem, just seek out help. It's okay. You, you might face. I'm, I'm not gonna say that. Oh, you're not gonna face any flack for it. Right? Depending on the circle you live in, you're going to. But that flack is worth the worth what you get out of therapy.
0: That's your life. Yeah.
1: Also, just keep in mind that, you know, we are all victims of victims and criminals are also victims of themselves. So that, that by no means is a justification for the crimes that they do. But we need to approach criminal reform in, in India and in South Asia as a whole from a correctional standpoint instead of one where we seek to punish the, the criminal.
0: I think most times this is really interesting and people who are into true crime should look this up. But if you ever go back and search the childhood stories of some of our biggest criminals, they've had really, really sad childhoods. They've had very troubling childhoods. They've had poor childhoods. They've been abused. They've been raped. They've been hit. They've been sold. And, uh, you know, you can't say that all of this didn't lead them down the path it did. So it's again, like Aryan said, it's not a justification for what they do. But only when we correct those can we stop more and more Javed iqbal's and more and more Burari families from existing. And uh, we exactly just want to end it on this note that if you're in trouble, seek help. There are people who won't agree with that idea. But there are many, many of us out here and more and more of us every day who think that's the right thing to do. So we're here for you. And bye-bye.
1: Right, Peace out.